So we're going to jump right into our scripture passage this morning. Um, this June, we're reading from the Old Testament book of Luke, or sorry, Luke, Ruth. Um, and uh, we're seeing the way that God has worked in the lives of ordinary people to accomplish his will in the world. And as we are reading and learning um, from the Old Testament book of Ruth, we're also wondering how God might be at work in our own lives, in our own world, to bring about his purposes and his kingdom. The chapter one of this book, uh, it ends on kind of this really sad note. Naomi and Ruth, they come to Bethlehem and the Bible says that they came home empty. Um, they left with family, or Naomi did anyway. She had a husband and two sons, but all of them passed away in Moab, and all she has left is uh, a fiercely loyal daughter-in-law named Ruth. So it's a sad time in their lives. It's a sad time in the world at this time, because it's the time of the judges, and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Um, so we're seeing, what, what is God up to in the midst of this tragedy? How is he working to bring about hope? We pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I, have, I, I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back to Moab from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get water. Go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your, of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. 
She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. An she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her, her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness, showing his kindness, to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz, to clean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends and family of Jesus Christ, I periodically listen to a podcast called How I Built This. It's hosted by a man named Guy Raz. And each week, Raz interviews entrepreneurs and he asked them questions about how they built their businesses. A few years ago, Guy Raz interviewed Stuart Butterfield, the CEO and founder of a workflow communication system called Slack. Stuart's big passion as a kid was video games, and he had hopes and dreams of creating this multiplayer online video game. Twice, Stuart tried to do this, and twice he failed. But on both occasions, his, failure, his failures produced very interesting byproducts. After failing at his first game, he realized that he now knew how to create a, a photo-sharing website, and he thought this was a good idea. So he created Flickr. This turned out to be a very good idea, and Yahoo uh, paid him $25 million uh, for this creation of his. With all this money, Stuart set out to create another game that he just really wanted uh, a successful game, but it didn't work even with a bigger staff and with more money. They just could never get the idea to come together and people did not uh, start playing their game. But as they were trying to build this, this game, they were developing a workflow communication system to help them accomplish their goals. They wanted a better communication tool than email, so they programmed this simple application um, to help them do that. The tool worked so well for them that when it came time to close up their company because it wasn't profitable, they decided, well, maybe we should try to package and sell this communication system. So that's what they did, and in 2009, Slack was born. Last year, Stuart Butterfield sold Slack for $27 billion. 
At the end of each interview on how I built this, Guy Raz asks his guests this question. I think it's a very good one. He asks them, how much of your success do you credit to luck? And how much do you think was the result of hard work? Most guests acknowledge that there was a degree of, of chance, of luck in their success. But then they also talk about their 80-hour work weeks and their stressful all-nighters trying to get the job done. Butterfield found gold buried in the bottom of his failures, but the only reason he found it was because he put the work in. Hard work and luck, good plans and good fortune. I wonder how Ruth and Naomi would answer Guy Raz's question. I mean, they didn't, they didn't build a, a business together or anything like that, but they did build a pretty significant movement and started uh, a dynasty of sword, sorts, a household name. Ruth, as the Bible goes on to tell us, is the great-great-grandmother of King David. And, as the Bible also says, she's the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of King Jesus. Her and Naomi arrived in Bethlehem with absolutely nothing. Nothing. Their bellies were empty. They had no land. They had no money. They were, they were really, really, really vulnerable people. And then, less than a year later, spoiler alert, they are happily living in the home of a rich relative with a new baby cooing on their laps. Hard work or good fortune? Or maybe there's another factor at play in Naomi and Ruth's rise from the ashes of Moab a factor called providence. You'll notice that God is conspicuously absent in Ruth chapter 2. He doesn't tell Ruth which field to glean. Ruth just goes out and she finds a field. He doesn't tell Boaz to notice Ruth. And yet, as it turned out, that is exactly what happens. I love that little literary phrase that, that the narrator, narrator uses. He says, as it turned out. When we say or hear that phrase, it's usually to describe some surprising, lucky turn of events. As it turned out, Ruth found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. Boaz, a relative, a rich relative, who also happens to be the family's kinsman redeemer. As it turned out, they found each other. Another way of tra translating that phrase is to say, as luck would have it. Now, the narrator, being a good Jew, doesn't believe in simple, dumb luck. This is a wink. This is, the author has a twinkle in his eye as he writes this phrase. What he wants us to see here is not Ruth's lucky encounter with Boaz, but the hidden hand of God at work in bringing them together. As luck would have it, wink, wink, Ruth went out to glean barley in Boaz's field. The author wants us to see the matchmaking that's going on here, the matchmaking of God. Now, Boaz, as luck would have it, was from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech, you'll recall, is, was Naomi's late husband. So this well-off farmer is a relative and not just any relative, but as I mentioned, the kinsman redeemer of the family. 
Let me say a few things about this kinsman redeemer as it's important for understanding this story and the gospel more broadly. Israel's social welfare system was built around the clan, the extended family. The clan was responsible for their own, and the wealthy in the clan looked after the poor. And when husbands died, widows and and children would be adopted into another household within the clan. Now, some within the clan were designated to be uh, to fulfill a, a certain function called that, like called the redeemer. And these folks had the special task of interceding, of stepping in to help in a, in a very defined way. If a family member had fallen on hard times and was forced to sell their land, for instance, the kinsman redeemer would eventually buy the land back so that their parcel, their inheritance from the Lord, would that it would stay within the family. So essentially, a kin, kinsman redeemer's job was to intercede and to restore family members who had fallen on hard times. The introduction of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is a big deal. Recall that Ruth and Naomi are in dire straits. Not only have they lost everything, including their loved ones, but they are also two vulnerable women living in a man's world, and one of them is a foreigner from a hated neighboring country. Do you notice how often the Ruth, Ruth's safety is mentioned in that text. I mean, she's, she's at risk. Going to the fields is a, is a terrifying thing for a young woman to do, especially a, for, a foreigner. So they're in dire straits. And now we have this introduction of a new character, Boaz. And we wonder, could he step in to redeem this situation? Maybe, but we'll have to see what kind of man he is first. Now about Ruth, as this story unfolds, we're seeing more and more uh, what kind of woman that she is. In chapter 1, we learn that she's loyal. In chapter 2, we see that she is bold and industrious. In fact, she's an entrepreneur. She may be vulnerable, but she is not weak. On her first day in Bethlehem, she rolls up her sleeves, gets out in the field, and gets to work. Now, gleaning is not a common practice today, although I've heard if you visit the right potato fields in the fall, you can come home with a few bags full. I'll have to give it a try. Gleaning was the right of the poor in Israel's law. Landowners were told not to harvest the edges of their field, and as they were cutting the grain or the barley, if if stalks fell, fell down, they weren't supposed to pick up everything, but they were to leave some for the poor who were coming behind. So gleaners would follow the harvesters and they would take home what they could find. It was a tough job, but at least you could have your daily bread. So Ruth, she gets right out there. She gets right into the fields. She puts, she puts, um, she puts in a hard day's work. And what's more, we learn from the text that she has the gumption as a foreigner to ask to glean in the most advantageous spot among the sheaves. The foreman says she asked to glean among the sheaves. This is the spot where there are the most loose uh, amounts of grain just lying around, uh, where all the bundles are. So she gets right in there, goes up to the foreman and says, that's where I want to glean. So Ruth is no passive 
She's not a passive person in this text. She's entrepreneurial. She asks, she seeks, she knocks. We'll see more of Ruth's entrepreneurial spirit next week. And Boaz, Boaz takes note. Who's that foreigner over there, he asks. Oh, that's Naomi's daughter, Ruth, the foreman says. Ah, I've heard about her. Don't let the men touch her or embarrass her, he says. And when she's thirsty, let her drink from our water supplies. Oh, and have the men pull out a few more stalks so that as she comes behind them, she can pick up them and take them home. As it turned out, wink, wink, Boaz even took the risk of inviting this foreigner to join him for lunch. And together, these two became acquainted as they ate roasted grain and dipped their bread into the wine vinegar. I don't know how you see things here, but it seems to me that these two are starting to hit it off. I wonder if Boaz will move from curiosity to truly living into his call as a kinsman redeemer. I wonder what Ruth's next move will be too. What will she do with her newfound favor in the eyes of Boaz? We'll have to stay tuned to see what happens with the relationship. But chapter 2, it should be noted, ends on kind of a subdued note, but it's also very hopeful. Boaz has proved himself to be a gentleman, but he doesn't swoop in to rescue Ruth and Naomi. He's going to need a little encouragement, perhaps. But this said, something has definitely changed for the better in Ruth and Naomi's world. On her first day of gleaning, Ruth comes home with a month's supply of barley. That is a lot of bread. These two women are still in a precarious situation, but things are looking up, and Naomi, the bitter one, is now in a much more pleasant mood. There's a lot that we can glean from Ruth chapter 2, but let me share two brief application points for us today. The first is this, is that this passage teaches us very, uh, something very important about God. Namely, that he's at work in the world, accomplishing his will. The Bible, of course, is filled with stories, some of them very dramatic, about how God is at work in the world, getting his, getting his will done, bringing in his kingdom. We see this uh, in the Exodus, uh, very dramatically, where God makes a way through the sea so that his people can leave slavery and experience freedom with him on the other side. We see this also most clearly in the, the coming and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the way that, that God brings his kingdom into the world and, and brings us all into it as well. These are the big events, the, the highlight reel of God's work in the world. But in countless more quiet ways, God is at work in the lives of ordinary people accomplishing his work. We see the quiet but steady hand of God in the life of Joseph, for instance, the life of Esther, and we also see it in the life of Ruth and Naomi. Like a master quilter, God gathers up all the broken fragments of history and he weaves them together into his grand plan and story of salvation. Not all of us get to be key players in the highlight reel, like John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul, but if we look closely, at our own lives, God is there. He's behind the scenes, 
He's incorporating us, yes, even us, into his grand plan of kingdom come. It's not always to see, it's not always easy to see from our limited perspective. I mean, Ruth and Naomi, they, how could they see their lives from God's point of view? They couldn't. All they knew was the heartbreak and the tragedy of loss and the hard work of daily life. But as it turned out, God was weaving them into his story. He was lifting up their lives and incorporating them into his plan to send humanity's true redeemer. Ruth becomes the mother of Obed, and as Obed grows, he marries, and he has a son named Jesse. And when Jesse grows up, he fathers a quiver full of strapping young boys. One of them, the youngest, is named David. And David will one day be installed as king, and he will establish God's law and God's land. But most importantly, God will make a covenant with King David. He will promise David that one from his line will always sit on the throne And years later, in the town of Bethlehem, a royal descendant of David is born. His parents give him the name Jesus. Jesus' kingdom will never end. Naomi and Ruth could not have known or imagined that their lives would become key pieces in God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. We... We, we, we can't see things from God's perspective, his point of view. We can't imagine the ways that our simple daily lives could be wrapped up in his grand plan. And yet that is the case. It was the case for Ruth and Naomi, and it's the case for us today too. I mean, who knows what beautiful thing God is piecing together through the seemingly random events of our life. What will he do through you that will impact generations to come? You know, you're here today, um, and the people who are in the sanctuary, I'm talking to you. Most of you, I think all of you are here uh, and are ordained. Maybe, maybe there's one person's not, but you have been ordained before, right? And sometimes this work of being set aside, this, this, this call of being set aside to serve God in the church, it can feel so ordinary and simple. And sometimes it's, well, let's say it's less than exciting, Sometimes it just feels like work, something we have to do. But who knows? Who knows what could happen here in our midst? What simple events, even what heartache or tragedy that could happen here in our own community that would somehow be a part of God's plan hundreds of years down the road? We have no clue. We have our limited perspective. We don't have God's perspective. And yet we trust. We have faith. The Bible speaks of this, that God is at work in history, knitting together the the story of his salvation in Christ. Often it just feels like we're bumbling our way through life. That's how sometimes I feel. Trying to make the most of what we're given And yet behind the scenes, as we read in Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Nothing is wasted. God is a very resourceful God. None of our lives are simply random. All our lives are wrapped up in his story. We get a glimpse of this, a really good glimpse, 
in the book of Ruth. God is at work. And this brings me to the the second point, the second thing I think we need to see from this passage today. And that is that while God may be the master quilter who's bringing all things together for his purposes, we are not lifeless pieces of fabric in his grand plan. Instead, we are called to make the most of our lives, to make the most of what God gives. Ruth is far from being a passive player in this story. I mean, she is not passive at all. She is bold. She is brave. She is resourceful. And her hard work and her loyalty is noticed by the Lord Almighty. She is faithful with little, and so the Lord gives her more responsibility. And it's true that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. But it's also true that unless the laborers labor, the house will never be built. God calls us to serve him with our bodies, with our strength, with our, with our minds, with our heart. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, and its righteousness. The life with Christ, it's full-bodied, it's full-orbed, it requires all of us. And Jesus invites us to use everything we have for his kingdom's cause. And he partners with people, real people, like Abraham, like Moses, like, like Mary. I think of I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the day that the angel came to visit her and said, you're going to be pregnant with uh, the Holy Spirit's child. I mean, Mary could have ran away screaming, said, no, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. I don't, do not want a partner in that plan. But instead, she steps up to the plate. I'm willing to participate in what God is doing in the world. May it be to me as you have said. Prayer and hard work providence and partnership. This is how God gets his work done in the world. Two two years ago, I had the providential privilege of going to Egypt, Jordan, and and Israel on on a guided tour. And our guide for the trip was a man named George. George had more energy and passion than anyone I have ever met in my life. Um, sometimes we actually wished he would have dialed it down a little because we wanted to rest. And he kept us going from 7 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. We weren't eating most days till 8, 8.30 after a long day of travel. Each morning before we got on the bus, we would recite the Shema together. This is um, these famous words from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he'd look at us and he'd say, today we're going to give God our all and we're going to see what he gives. And I just, that has always stuck with me. Today we're going to give God our all and we're going to see what he gives. And it strikes me that's the right attitude. That's the right outlook of life in this world. Not, not just to be pass, not, not to think of ourselves as passive pawns in, in God's, in God's you know, story, but to think of ourselves as active participant in, in the story that he is writing. And I don't know if Ruth said that to herself every morning. You know? I don't know if she woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to give God my all and I'll see what God gives. But that's how she lived. She offered her life as a living sacrifice to Naomi, Naomi's God, and God raised her up. Providence and dedication, prayer and hard work. As we 
lay our lives down for God's kingdom, as we take risks for what is right and what conforms to the mission of his son, we shouldn't be surprised to find God weaving the, the parts of our lives, re, weaving our, our lives into his, into his story. And that's the place, that's the best place to be. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the witness of this story, the example of Ruth, but more so we're thankful to be given a view into history from your perspective, to see the way that you, through the bumps and the bruises, the hard times, the tragedy, even the good times of life are knitting our stories into your larger story. And that gives us hope today, especially as we so often feel like we're bumbling along, Lord. We pray too, Lord, that you would give us the strength we need each and every day to, to get up and once again declare our loyalty and commitment to serve you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We ask for the courage we need to be true partners in this story as well, Lord. And Lord, as we move to think about our church and the leadership of our church, we pray now that um, for our own community, that this community, that this body of believers, Lord, that you would use us and grow us and knit us together as a family that bears witness to your light and to your truth in this time and in this place. And we don't have your perspective, Lord, but we hope and we pray and we're willing to be participants. And who knows, maybe one day our story will be part of something we can't even imagine right now. And we're not in control of that, Lord. We just offer ourselves to you and may your will be done here in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.